um, series. Last week, Pastor Brandon talked about walking this way. He used the Aerosmith song, Walk This Way, to talk about how we model behavior. This week is entitled, I Don't Want to Miss a Thing. If anyone knows the Aerosmith song, I'm not even going to try and sing it. But I don't want to miss a thing. And this, the, the point of this series, of, the, of this message this morning, is that there's a target that we don't want to miss. And then we're, as we're discipling people, we want to be leading them towards the target. God's plan has always been, as we said last week, for his love to cascade from one generation to the next. And in making disciples and raising children and helping raise other disciples, we must be able to clearly point out the bullseye. What is the target for them? Uh, we're going to start off with the video, um, sort of set this thing off and take a look at that. It's about four minutes long or so, I think. What if I told you Jesus came to abolish religion? What if I told you voting Republican really wasn't his mission? What if I told you Republican doesn't automatically mean Christian and just because you call some people blind doesn't automatically give you vision? I mean, if religion is so great, why has it started so many wars? Why does it build huge churches but fails to feed the poor? Tell single moms God doesn't love them if they've ever had a divorce, but in the Old Testament, God actually calls religious people whores. Religion might preach grace, but another thing they practice, tend to ridicule God's people, they did it to John the Baptist. They can't fix their problems, and so they just mask it, not realizing religion's like spraying perfume on a casket. See, the problem with religion is it never gets to the core. It's just behavior modification, like a long list of chores. Like, let's dress up the outside, make it look nice and neat, but it's funny, that's what they used to do to mummies while the corpse rots underneath. Now I ain't judging, I'm just saying, quit putting on a fake look. Because there's a problem if people only know that you're a Christian by your Facebook. I mean, in every other aspect of life, you know that logic's unworthy. It's like saying you play for the Lakers just because you bought a jersey. See, this was me too, but no one seemed to be on to me. Acting like a church kid while addicted to pornography. See, on Sunday I'd go to church, but Saturday getting faded, acting if I was simply created to just have sex and get wasted. See, I spent my whole life building this facade of neatness, but now that I know Jesus, I boast in my weakness. Because if grace is water, then the church should be an ocean. It's not a museum for good people, it's a hospital for the broken, which means I don't have to hide my failure, I don't have to hide my sin. Because it doesn't depend on me, it depends on Him. See, because when I was God's enemy, and certainly not a fan, He looked down and said, I want that man which is why Jesus hated religion and for it he called them fools. Don't you see so much better than just following some rules? Now let me clarify. I love the church, I love the Bible, and yes, I believe in sin. But if Jesus came to your church, would they actually let him in? See, remember he was called a glutton and a drunkard by religious men, but the Son of God never supports self-righteousness, not now, not then. Now back to the point, one thing is vital to mention how Jesus and religion are on opposite spectrums. See, one's the work of God, but one's a man-made invention. See, one is the cure, but the other's the infection. See, because religion says do. Jesus says done. Religion says slave. Jesus says son. Religion puts you in bondage, while Jesus sets you free. Religion makes you blind, but Jesus makes you see. And that's why religion and Jesus are two different clans. 
Religion is man searching for God. Christianity is God searching for man, which is why salvation is freely mine and forgiveness is my own. Not based on my merits, but Jesus' obedience alone. Because he took the crown of thorns and the blood dripped down his face. He took what we all deserve. I guess that's why you call it grace. And while being murdered, he yelled, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Because when he was dangling on that cross, he was thinking of you. And he absorbed all your sin and he buried it in the tomb, which is why I'm kneeling at the cross saying, come on, there's room. So for religion, no, I hate it. In fact, I literally resent it. Because when Jesus said, it is finished, I believe he meant it. Amen, right? So the, the simple truth is this. You and I are tasked with making disciples. The Great Commission didn't say, go ye therefore into all the world and make a bunch of converts. We can do that pretty well as a church. We're pretty good at it. What the Bible says is, go ye therefore into all, in all the world and make disciples. We're supposed to be pointing people towards what's real and what's true. We're supposed to be pointing them to a relationship with Jesus Christ, not to a system. Amen? So if we're pointing people towards religion, we're pointing them towards a relationship with the law. We're, to- we're pointing them towards a relationship with a system, not por- towards a relationship with the one who fulfilled the law. I want to be raising my children in such a way that I'm pointing them not towards a system, but to a savior. Amen? I want to point them to Jesus Christ. If you think about this, if you're, if you're a first century Jew and Jesus is coming along and he's preaching this stuff, man, we call the gospel good news, but it wasn't always received as good news. Think about this for a second. If you're the people who are invested in this system, your identity, your livelihood, your entire life and family wrapped up in this whole deal, when Jesus comes along and basically says, eh, we're done with this, how does that make you feel? It's going to be a shock to your system. It's kind of like if you uh, put it in terms of technology. If you were heavily invested in Blockbuster and Netflix came along, Netflix was bad news for you. You all know what I'm talking about? There's a whole lot of blanks. All right, let me go back a little ways. If you were heavily invested in the Betamax, (laughs) I'm trying to figure out where we are age-wise. If you were heavily invested in the VHS tape, like I was, and then the DVD came out, And then you went, oh, man, this is great, but what about all this stuff, right? If you were heavily invested in blockbusters, you watched them file for bankruptcy time and time again because Netflix pretty much put them out of business. Here's what happened. Jesus put those turkeys out of business. They made a living off of shilling the people for money. They made a living off of putting themselves above everybody else and holding themselves separate. They made a living off their status. And Jesus came along and said, "Ah, no more of that. I'm done with this. And so, what do you think they did? Well, we know what they did. They crucified him for it. But you know what? It's still good news. It's good news. But to those who received it first, it might not have sounded like such good news in the beginning. But in order to contrast what religion and relationship looks like, we need to know some differences. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning, okay? I don't want this to just be a bumper sticker we put on our cars or a slogan we tell people to try and win them to Christ. We say, oh, it's not about religion. It's about relationship. But we don't bother explaining what we mean by that. Right? It sounds good. Really? Does it? But what does it mean? So here's what we're going to do. I'm going con- to contrast some things for us and give you a few things that religion tells us versus what Jesus would tell us. Okay? So let's start off. Here we go. Let's jump right in. First one. Religion. And if you've got a little note thing, you can fill in the blanks here. Religion loves rules. Relationships thrive on freedom. Let me say that again. Religion loves rules. Relationships thrive on freedom. 
You see, Galatians 5.1, I'm going to use the amplified version for quite a bit of this because I love how it just sort of explains. It gives some different words, all right? But Galatians 5.1 says, In this freedom, Christ has made us free and completely liberated us. Stand fast then and do not be hampered and held ensnared and submit again to a yoke of slavery which you have once put off. A yoke of slavery. Listen, Paul doesn't mince words when he talks about the old way. Paul doesn't make it sound like, well, we might could go back to the old way a little bit. You know, Blockbuster tried to do what Netflix did and still kind of keep in the game, but they never did it quite as well. Well, guess what? The law will creep in. The old way will creep in and say, yeah, we can have Jesus, but we also got to have these Ten Commandments. Don't forget about those. And Jesus says, man, you can't mix those two things at all. It's either me or that. It's either Jesus or it's law. Pick one and pick wisely, by the way. You pick, you pick law, and I tell you what, you better be willing to take all of it. Tell you what, for me and my house, we're going to take all of Jesus instead. Amen? So he says, don't go back again to that yoke of slavery. The slavery is the law. The slavery is the old way. It's that religious system that says, do, 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 do. Whereas Jesus, like he said, has said, done. It's finished. Amen? Philippians 3, 2. And again, I love, man, I love, my favorite thing about Paul, if, you guys are new believers out there, you need to read through Paul's epistles. He does not mince words. He does not talk nice. He doesn't. If you're looking for a meek Christian, Paul wasn't him. All right? When he was a persecutor of the church, he was zealous. When he was a promoter of the church, he was just as zealous, if not more so. But look what he says in Philippians 3, 2. Look out for those dogs. He doesn't say, hey, look out for those guys. They say good things, but they're really kind of nice. Look out for those dogs. And then he expounds upon that. Legalize the legalists, the Judaizers. Look out for those mischief makers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. And what they mean by that is there was a whole group of people in the first century, post, you know, after Jesus had been resurrected and gone on, they were creeping back in and telling these new Christians, yeah, 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 we, we got the whole Jesus thing, but you still have to do some other stuff. You still have to be circumcised. And Paul says, they're dogs. He says they're legalists, they're Judaizers, they're mutilators of the flesh. They're doing this to hang on to an old system that they're not willing to let go of. Don't let them do it. He says later on that a little bit of yeast, right, is all it takes to infect the whole batch. So guess what happens? We put a little bit of law, we put a little bit of this into our system, and next thing you know, it's overtaken. And we've left grace behind and moved back over into works. Guys, I'm telling you right now, there is no better way to live than in the liberty of Jesus Christ. Paul tells us that all things are permissible to him. And you know what I think he meant by all? I think he meant all. I think there's not a thing on planet earth that Paul could have ever wanted to do that was off limits to him, which sounds nuts, doesn't it? It sounds crazy. He said it, all things are permissible to me, but not all things are beneficial. And so Paul's paradigm shifts completely from one of, hey, these things are off limits because the Bible says so, versus these things are off limits because they're not good for me. I'm going to tell my children, hey, don't cross the street there, not because I don't love you, not because I'm, I'm being mean, but because you're going to get run over. Right? This is why we don't dabble with sin, not because it somehow is offensive to God, which it, it most certainly is. But the bigger issue is not that. The bigger issue is it's bad for you. And what good, what good loving parent wants their child dabbling in things that hurt them? The new paradigm is this. All these things aren't off limits. All these things, I could do them if I want to. I'm saved. I'm cool. 
Jesus and I are good. But you know what? I'm making choices now based upon what the Holy Spirit tells me to. Based upon what's good. What's giving life? What's giving death? Is that a life choice or a death choice? Every single time when I was preaching to these youth and back in the day when I was still here doing that, I would tell them, that's your choice today as Christians. Life or death. That's it. It's as simple as that. Is that choice you're about to make, is that going to bring you life or death? Make the choice that brings life. Amen? I remember my first trip overseas. Man, it was so great. I was going to go to Germany. Okay? So let me put a, I'm going to Heidelberg, Germany. I'm going to be there for about a month or so. I've never been overseas. But the only thing I could think about was I get to drive on the Autobahn. I can't freaking wait. I'm going to get a nice sports car, and I'm going to open that sucker up, and we are going to go as fast as the laws of physics will allow us to go. No rules, right? Some rules. No, no rules. I mean, there are parts of the Autobahn that are wide open. If you guys have been to Germany, you know. There's parts that aren't, but there's parts that are wide the heck open. As fast as you think your car can handle it, as fast as you think you're safe to be able to do it yourself, let her rip. Okay? Now, here's the problem with that. You get out there in a nice sports car like I had, my friend had rented, um, and suddenly you're faced with a different choice. Yeah, you can go as fast as you want, but should you? How fast should you go? And I found myself screaming down the Autobahn at about 65 miles an hour. <laughs> you ever been in, how many of you guys have been to Germany and driven the Autobahn? So, I know some military folks in here, so you know what I'm talking about. The lights start to flash behind you, you know, you're getting the German version of the finger. It's like, but I, and I felt awesome. I'm going so, and I looked down at my speedometer and I was like, Oh, my Lord, I could go faster than this in the United States. So I stepped that up, and I went 70, I think. Um, and then I realized I was going kilometers. <laughs> Woo! But I'm telling you, what people are afraid of the most, and when I preach this to people, they're afraid. The, 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 here's, here's the automatic knee-jerk religious reaction. If you tell people they're completely free, they will go nuts. Can I tell you the truth? It's not true. It's not. Saved people will be saved people. They will be regulated by the Holy Spirit. Yeah, fine, okay, in regular normal society, you take the rules off a bunch of carnal folks and say, oh, we'll have the purge, all right? It'll be, it will be nuts. But you can tell a believer who's placed his faith in Jesus Christ that all things are permissible, and you'd be amazed at how much restraint will come. Not by virtue of the law, not by virtue of things that come externally, but by virtue of the fact that they're saved new creations. They're new people. The same things I wanted to do before, I don't want to do so much anymore. I'm not saying it's a cure instantaneously that you say yes to Jesus and all those old habits go away. But I will tell you this, if you will lead yourself to the Holy Spirit, yield yourself to the Holy Spirit, let him do the work, it will be done. Amen? Amen. It's so good. Religion is like us telling us, it's like us telling God, God, just tell me what to do. And that's what the Israelites said. Lord, just tell us what to do and we'll do it. Just make, please make it easy for us. You know what? And this relationship and this thing with Jesus is him saying, that's not how relationships work. I'm not going to do that. I'm not just going to lay your path out for you and say, check the box off and go. This is a relationship. And you know, as crazy as it is to say this, he wants us to trust him. But you know what I've found? He trusts us. Why else would he give us free will if he didn't trust that given the right influences, we could make good choices? And we have some say about the things that we do. Amen, right?
All right, second point. Religion emphasizes doing. Relationships are about knowing. I met my wife when I was very young. I thank God for that. I was 16 years old when I met her. And although there have been times in my life, we've been married 23 years, all right? We've got four awesome kids, about to rock a grandchild. Life is good for the Turney household, okay? Life is good. I beat you there. I win. Um, but there were times, I'm going to call you Nana anyway. Everyone start calling Krista Nana. Just in sort of prophetic word. <laughs> but there were times throughout our marriage when I wished I could download her brain into mine. And I wished I could just know what she was thinking. But you know what? It doesn't work like that. It's a progressive thing. You know what I mean? But there were times when just the knowing part, not the doing part. It wasn't about accomplishing things. It wasn't about did you do this, did, having the honeydew list and checking these things off. It wasn't always about that. It was about how well do we know each other. Look at what Galatians 4 says. I love this. It says, if you seek to be justified and declared righteous and to be given a right standing with God through the law, you are brought to nothing and so separated, severed from Christ. Look, it's not about doing Right? If you, seek to, if you seek to make yourself good with God by accomplishing a bunch of stuff and checking a bunch of boxes, Paul's saying you're in for a rude awakening. It's not going to work. He says you have fallen from grace, from God's gracious favor and unmerited blessing in that amplified version. I was always told that falling from grace, the, the, the picture I was given was that you had like backslid. You know, things are, oh, look at you, back out in the world, he's fallen from grace. No, backslid really means I went back into my old ways of accomplishing what I could on my own. I went back to the old ways of doing a list of chores versus having a relationship where I get to know God and he gets to know me. He says, you've fallen from grace. Philippians 3, 8, the first part of that verse says, indeed, and this is Paul talking again, I count everything as loss. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Everything. He just got finished listing an entire litany of things he's accomplished. Paul is not just a guy who says, oh, you know, it's not all about that stuff because he's never accomplished anything. Right? It's easy for a guy like me to say that. Man, it's not about what I've accomplished because maybe I don't have a list like Paul has a list. But Paul's got a list. He's not just a Jew. He's a Jew of Jews. Right? He's of the tribe of Benjamin. He is circumcised on the eighth day. He is zealous for the church. He, is all these, he goes down a list of all of these things that he is. And then he says, I count it all. And I can't even use the word in church that he says it all is. I told you, Paul was kind of, he could be kind of a coarse guy sometimes. But it's all poopy. It's all garbage. It's all trash. Think of stronger words if you want to. All of that is nothing compared to the surpassing knowledge of God, compared to knowing Jesus. And I like to think of it like this. If I didn't know Jesus, who cares about the rest of that stuff? Who cares? It doesn't even matter. And the longer you wish somebody, the longer you spend time with them, the better you get to know them. It was really funny because I'll go back to my wife again. Twice yesterday, and my kids laugh and think it's the funniest thing in the world. Um, One time with the kids, one time without the kids, my wife and I said something the exact same time, the exact same thing. I don't even remember what it was anymore, but it was something. We're sitting around the table at home or something, and we just said the same thing in response to something one of our kids had said. And they looked at us and went, y'all have been married too long. I'm like, no, we actually know each other. 
sitting at the table at Applebee's last night having dinner, and the waitress said something, and we both sort of answered. I'm not joking. Word for word, what we said was the same, she and I. And it got me thinking that I want to be caught saying the same thing that Jesus is saying in response to the world. I want them to say something, and I would love for my words to match up automatically with what Christ would say in that situation. And I don't want to be more darkness in a dark world. I don't want to be adding more burden to a world that's already burdened. The point of making disciples is to point them to a place where they can be free. Amen? Amen. It's such awesome stuff. The third thing is this. Religion emphasizes self-control while our relationship with Christ produces it. Man, the worst thing about the old system was this. It demanded of you. But there was no power in that demand. It said, do, 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 do. But there was no power in, to do it. It was just a requirement. And I like to think of it like this. It was like, a, it was like a mirror held up to the face of all of us. It was just this mirror that said, hey, look, you're not measuring up. It's what the law was for. It was the purpose of it. This is perfection, and this is how far you've come from it. With Jesus, it's not that anymore. Amen? The Bible tells us that, that self-control is actually a product of a relationship with Christ. Check this out. Um, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. I think I skipped the first one, buddy. But it says this. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such thing there is no law. So while religion demands, a relationship with Christ produces. It, are we to have self-control? Absolutely. Absolutely. But you know what? The self-control thing is not really self-control. It's control as we yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit. It's control as we yield ourselves to what he would have us do. And it doesn't require effort on my part. I, I'm telling you right now, I, I can tell you that, gosh, it's been several years now, but a lot of my Christian life was not this way. A lot of my Christian life was, was really about all of my effort. It was all about my self-control. And can I tell you something? It stunk. I don't know. It's no wonder I never wanted anyone to Christ. It's no wonder because what I was offering them was awful. Hey, let me give you a relationship with Jesus that produces condemnation, uh, depression, fear, uh, feelings of unworthiness, guilt, and shame. And they would say, mm. I think I'm going to pass. Seriously, it's really good. You should come to church. You're going to feel totally smacked upside the head. It's like those people who walk out of church and go, man, I just got beat up today. It was so good. That's not what we're... Not to put too light a point on it, but it, it, it was awful. I walked away from the church for a long time. Can, y'all know, how many of you guys know, you can walk away from the church while sitting in that pew right there. It's not a pew, but... I sat in a pew. I can tell you this, and I'll be really honest with you guys right now. This is, this is how honest I'm willing to be with you. I was in ministry to some degree and had said, <clears throat> I was done. It was so disheartening. It was so hard. It was so frustrating. And it wasn't until I got a hold of what I'm telling you right now that I finally understood that the problem was me putting all of the emphasis on me. I was in a religious system that said, you have to do, and then God will do for you. And I never measured up. I was never good enough. Can I tell you right this, this morning, Jesus has come to make you free. He's come to give you a relationship with him. And this isn't even in my notes. This is for free. I just feel like I have to say this. He's come to give you a relationship that's not based upon your performance. 
It's not based upon what you can do for him. It's not based upon your ability to keep a set of rules. Matter of fact, the covenant God made with you, he didn't even make with you. He made with himself. The Bible says he could find no one better to swear by than himself. And so he made a covenant between him and himself. It's not even dependent upon you keeping it. It says, you will be my people. I will be your God. I will write my laws in your heart. I will do the, It's all these, these condi- not conditional statements. Can I tell you this morning, if you have found yourself frustrated in your relationship with God, I almost guarantee you it's because you have put too much of the emphasis on your abilities to keep up with what he, you think he demands of you. I'm telling you this morning, you don't need to do that. The, our relationship with Jesus will produce self-control. And all those things, I swear, if you will just yield them to Christ over time, you'll notice they just kind of fade away, right? They just kind of, man, your, 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 your want to changes, as some folks might say. But look at this, Philippians 3, 9. Check it out. It says, and that I may actually be found and known in him as not having any self-achieved righteousness that can be called my own, based on my obedience to the law's demands, ritualistic uprightness and supposed right standing with, the, with God thus acquired, but possessing that genuine righteousness which comes through faith in Christ, the anointed one, the truly right standing with God, which comes from God by saving faith. All of that to say, Paul is saying, listen, my righteousness does not depend upon me. If I claim to have acquired it on my own, it's not true. And I want to be here standing in front of you with a grace, with a saving grace that comes through faith in Christ and not in my own ability to do some things. Amen? It's really awesome. Next one, real quick. Religion is all about arriving and relationships value the journey. Let me say that again. Religion is all about arriving. And what I mean by that is it's all about status. It's all about accomplishment. It's all about holding yourselves up. That's why those, those Pharisees walked around with all the different garb on, with all the different... It was, it was obvious which one of those guys had status and which ones did not. There were the average folks, and then there were those guys. But relationships know that there's value in the progress. There's value in the step. Celebration Church will always preach and tell you that we're interested in your moving forward. We're never going to arrive. Paul himself says he's, he's not arrived. And if anybody had maybe arrived, it might have been Paul. But he says, eh, I haven't quite made it there. So we're not interested in arriving. We're interested in the progress and the journey. We're interested in going forward. Wherever you are in your walk with Jesus this morning, your next step forward is the most important thing. And it could be a little tiny baby step. Or it could be a huge leap. It just depends on you and where you are with God and how he's dealing with you. Philippians 3.10 says, For my determined purpose is that I may know him that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and more clearly, and that I may in that same way come to know the power outflowing from his resurrection, which it exerts over believers, and that I may so share his sufferings as to be continually transformed in spirit into his likeness, even to his death in the hope. I love that. And that's the reason kind of I went to that version, the amplified version, is Paul kind of, he expands on some of those, those words, right? It's that I may not just know him, that I may progressively get to know him. That I, over time, God and I will spend time together, and as I am able to take it, 
right? I'll get more and more of what he wants me to have. Jesus said that, that he had more to tell us before he left and sent us the Holy Spirit. He said, I have more to tell you, but you can't take it. You know, he could have opened our heads up and poured a bunch of knowledge in there, but we weren't going to handle it. So he sent the Holy Spirit to bring us into all this truth. And it's a process. And we have to be, as believers, okay, not just with our process, because sometimes that's hard enough. But can I tell you, though, you need to be okay with your neighbor's process. You need to be okay with your spouse's progress. You need to be okay with the guy over there who you think is a total dirtbag. You know what? He's in process. Maybe he's not as far down the road as you are, or maybe you're not as far down the road as he is, but he's in process. And the step forward is the most important thing. Amen? Philippians 3.12 says, not that I have now attained it, right, this ideal, he says, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to lay hold of, grasp, and make my own that for which Christ Jesus, the Messiah, has laid a hold of me and made me his own. So the process is this. I yield to the fact that Christ has laid a hold of me and made me his own for the purpose of bringing me into relationship with him, for the purpose of, over time, taking me someplace that I need to be. And wherever that is, for you, for me, it's going to be different. But we cannot get in this place of looking at somebody else and saying, "Eh, man, they are just, they're not doing it. They are not quite where I am, religiously or spiritually. I look at Daniel and go, man, he is trying so hard. But he's just, you'll get there. All right, I promise you, brother, you will. Just keep trying. Or likewise, that's, that's bad enough. How about this, though? where you do it to yourself and you see somebody who's farther down the road than you. And you go, man, I've been walking with Jesus for 30 years and that guy just started. How come I'm not as far down the road as that person? It's a destructive thing that we get into when we compare ourselves. It's either going to make us really self-righteous or it's really going to put us in a place of feeling bad about ourselves. Our self-esteem is going to be either artificially inflated or decreased based upon our comparisons. And they would tell it, don't compare yourself to somebody else. The process is what's important. Making progress is what's important. Amen? All right, good. I'm going to close with this one. And this is my favorite one. Religion says, so what about the past? Relationships say, so what about the past? How many of you guys know how important a comma can be? Amen? Be careful with those commas. They can change stuff, all right? So how about that past, Keenan? Remember that thing, that one? Religion loves to throw that stuff in our face. I tell you what, it loves to remind you of how you failed. You know what's even sometimes more destructive than that is likes to remind you how you succeeded. Some of us get stuck in the past not over bad things, but you can get stuck in the past over good things too. Well, I tell you what, I had that thing where I achieved a lot, and I just kind of want to camp there. I kind of want to stay there, right? And that could be 30 years later, and I'm still trying to fit into my high school letterman jacket, you know? <laughs> You're that guy. If you're that guy, I'm sorry, but I still find you pitiful. Going to the football game on Friday night, recounting the glory days, talking about how that, you know, it'd be like that guy married with children. You know, you, you set the record for all. But you haven't done squat since. You're still selling ladies' shoes. Nothing, there's anything wrong with that, Daniel. It's okay. Um, you can get stuck in the past in a good or a bad way. Why are you the guy I'm picking on? I'm sorry, man. I really am. But you can get stuck. We have got to be, you know, I've heard professional athletes say this all the time, that you've got to have a short memory in professional sports, right? If you're a quarterback and you just threw an interception, you can't get up to the line of scrimmage the next play and go, I hope I don't throw another interception. Because guess what's going to happen? You will throw another. It's just you're going to get so zeroed in on that target, you're going to do it. So you've got to forget it. 
forget about it. In fact, there's a really good commercial on ESPN now with Charles Barkley where he talks about uh, you Go see it. Just trust me. I should have had it for the, where he's like, I don't remember, he doesn't remember any of that stuff. I didn't, anyway, I'm not going to keep going. But You have to have a short memory as a believer because you know what? Number one, the past accomplishments, they're great, but they don't mean all that much. Paul will tell you that. He counts it all as loss for knowing Christ, okay? The past hang-ups, the past problems, they don't mean anything. They don't have any bearing on your future with Christ. They don't have any bearing, quite frankly, on your future goals or your future, the way that God's going to use you. How many of you guys have met folks who you knew had a calling on their life? Boy, they were gifted, talented, whatever, and they made some bad decisions, and suddenly they've disqualified themselves. They think, oh, I, could never, I could never do that. I've, I've been whatever. Fill in your blank. I've been divorced. I've been... Um, in a bad relationship, I've made bad decisions, I, whatever, I don't know what the thing is, but they've disqualified themselves in their own minds from doing certain things. I don't believe we're ever disqualified. Matter of fact, I think our lumps and our, our scars make us more qualified, you know, to go into the world and say, listen, if I could be used of God, let me tell you about some things in my past that you'd be shocked about. God's using me. That's awesome stuff, right? But Paul tells us, look at this, in Philippians 3.14, I'm sorry, 3.13-14, where he says, I do not consider, brethren, that I have captured and made it my own yet, but one thing I do, it is my one aspiration, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the supreme and heavenly prize to which God in Christ Jesus is calling us upward. That's what I do. I'm Paul the Apostle. This is a guy who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. This is a guy who most of our understanding of what it means to be a Christian comes from this guy. He says, here's what I do. Second, a guy like that says, here's what I do, I listen. Here's what I do. I forget what's behind, and I press on to the next thing. And that's what we're called to do as Christians. We're called to forget what came before, and we're called to go forward. Whatever that forward is for you, I don't know. For me, it'll be different. For you, it'll be different. But we are called to just move forward. Amen? Look at this. 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The past is gone. And every single day, we have an opportunity to wake up to the reality that the past is gone. And that we get to move on from today. And we get to build on the foundation of today. If you're a young person, that's great news. If you're a not-so-young person, that's still great news. There's still stuff for us to accomplish. But we cannot live thinking about what used to be. Thinking about what we have or have done or have not done. What we should have accomplished, what we didn't accomplish. All of that stuff has got to be put out of the mind. And we've got to accept the assignment that God has for us. I'm going to close by saying we've got to choose to embrace the assignment to help the next generation to know God better and trust Him more. And all of that has to do with pointing the people that we're discipling towards a relationship with Jesus. It has everything to do with pointing them towards their Savior and not pointing them towards some system. Sometimes it's easier to do one than the other, isn't it? It's easier if I give you a list of things. Hey, do, do, do this, and you check the box off. It's like going to the gym, you know, and the trainer gives you your little thing. He says, all right, I did my push-ups, I did my sit-ups, I did my woo I could get out of here. But I'm here to tell you this morning that it's not that way with Jesus. We've got to choose to accept our assignment. Amen? Amen? Good. What I would like to do this morning, if I could, just take a minute or two. If we could create a little quiet moment. If you're here today, maybe, this, maybe, maybe what I talked about this morning kind of struck you. 
um, maybe, maybe it sort of hit home with you, but this whole thing about the past, I don't know why I felt like I needed to close with that, but I feel like there's some people, myself included, who can very easily get hung up on what used to be. Or, how about this, what they thought was going to be. Or what they thought they should have done. But this morning, I just want to make an opportunity for you, if you're here and you need to embrace this relationship with Jesus, if you need to embrace this thing that says, I'm moving forward from here and I don't care about what used to be, just make eye contact with me, raise your hand, do something, and let's get this thing moving forward. Amen, amen, amen. All over the... Ah, oh, it's great. This morning, we just want to say goodbye to that stuff. Amen? We want to move forward. And I don't care what it is. I don't care how big or small it is. It's a good deal. Christ is offering us an exchange this morning of our old for his new. Of our trying for his having already accomplished. How cool is that? All this stuff Jesus did for us. Amen? All right, if the, if the believers would do me a favor, just join in with us. We're just going to say a prayer. And for those of you, for, maybe this is your first time to say this prayer, can I tell you right now, the prayer isn't magic words. The words you're saying aren't super special. They are confirming what you've already chosen to believe in your heart. The Bible says that we, if we will believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, then we're saved. So this morning, all we're doing is affirming and confessing that which we have just chosen to believe. So if you would join with me, say, Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. This morning, I say goodbye to my past, and I embrace my future. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for giving all my sins. Father, I thank you for giving me the power to go forward. In Jesus' name, I believe I will be with you all my life. Amen. Amen. All right. That's good stuff. You guys do me a favor, stand up this morning. We'll say a quick prayer and I'll dismiss you. Uh, We have people on either side. If you need to pray with somebody, if you want to talk to myself or Pastor Brandon or the Lahones or those folks over there. Okay. There now, I know who it is. If you need to talk to somebody this morning, please don't leave without seeing someone and praying, okay? But Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the gift you've given us of Jesus Christ. God, we thank you that we can forget what's in the past and move forward. And that, God, we're not here to accomplish a set of rules, but we're here to have a relationship with the one who created the heavens and the earth. We thank you for everything. We pray for a blessed day. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great day, guys. We'll see you next week.